Hello, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. So I know that this time is stressful on so many levels for so many of you. And one of the ways in which it could be stressful is financially. I know some of you have been furloughed, lost your job completely, sources of income that you relied on have gone away, and you might be freaking out, for lack of a better word, about money. So I wanted to bring on an expert about money and finances and someone who can also talk about our relationship to money. As I've been saying for months now, this time of uncertainty, this time of unrest, this time of exposing things that need to be exposed are giving us an opportunity to do the inner work, to look at unresolved issues, inner childhood wounds. And many of you have wounding around money and limiting belief around finances. And that didn't just start, started way, 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 way back in childhood with your money story, with self-worth issues. And if money is stressful right now, instead of just scrambling to make more money, pay the bills, getting that kind of fight or flight response, fight, flight, or freeze response when it comes to money, how can you do some of the inner work around your relationship to money as well? Because we have a relationship to money. It's a psychological relationship that we have. And so this is a great time to dig in. If money is something that you're worried about and triggered with, great time <laughs> to, to resolve those wounds and really explore that. And Ramit gives some really great tips. So let me tell you a little bit about Ramit. I've known him for years. I interviewed him for, I think, my second book. And it's been amazing to watch him just really become a leader in financial IQ. People go to him for both money strategy and money tips, what to do with their money, financial planning, but also for how to break through their money blocks. And we talk about that in the episode. We really go into the psychology of money. He has some great questions, offers some great tips. I think you're really going to love this episode. Ramit is the author of the New York Times bestseller, I Will Teach You How to Be Rich. He's known as a financial guru to millions. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Before we dig in, speaking of wounding and inner child stuff, we are teaching another inner child workshop. The last weekend of August, it will be August 28th, 29th, and 30th. It will be virtual like it was last time. You can join us live or you can have access to the recording for 30 days. We had such profound results from the 300 people that did the last inner child workshop. They loved it and it really moved the needle on things in their life that they felt very, very stuck about. Listen, it really all comes back to inner child stuff. Really, even Steph and I in our relationship, any issue we have, any pattern that we get into, we can trace it back to our childhood. <laughs> and so having a healthy relationship with the inner child, healing some of that wounding is so critical. I highly, highly encourage you to join us if money is a big block, it's your only no, it's your only obstacle to joining us, email jill at christinehasler.com for all of our programs. We always have financial assistance, scholarships, payment plans available. We are here to work with you. So go to christinehasler.com slash inner child to learn more about that. All right, everybody. And now on to my conversation with Ramit. Ramit. 
Rumi, welcome to the show. It's so nice to reconnect with you. I think that we were talking before we started recording, but I actually think it was in 2008 when I was writing 20-something manifesto. I think that's actually the last time we've talked. So we've done a great job of staying in touch. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Well, it's great to be here and I am so excited to talk to you. I am too. And one of the many reasons I wanted to have you on, other than I know you're legit, I know how many people you've helped over the years with your brand, I Will Teach You How to Be Rich, and which is about much more than making money. You really do the deep work with people, which I really appreciate and have been walking the talk for well, well over a decade. And my audience is, they are, they are learners. They are super into personal development, but one thing they often struggle with is self-worth, which leads to struggles with money quite often. So there's patterns of not being able to make money, having money and spending it, um, working really, really, really hard and, and not, not like recognizing their value in that. So I'd really love to start with talking about the psychology of money because we have relationships with money, right? Just like we have relationships with people. When does our relationship with money really begin? All of us remember when our relationship with money begins. And we can all just close our eyes and think back to sitting around at the dinner table. And maybe it was mom or dad or an uncle who made an offhand comment about money. Maybe it was, Christine, we don't talk about money in this family. Or maybe it was easy come, easy go. Or we're not like those rich people here. And we let those offhand comments seep into our consciousness and fascinating in a fascinating way, they actually guide us and sometimes control us for decades. I hear 40 year olds who tell me that they are avoidant with money. And when we talk about why the first thing they go to is, you know, I'm not using the right tools and I'm not sure where to start and investing feels like gambling. But as we really dig in and uncover those layers, Oftentimes, it's as simple as a comment that mom made at the dinner table, and that can change your life once you know it. Mm. Mm. I love that. So somebody says something. Mom says, oh, those people with money, they're just evil, and they use money for evil reasons. What does that do to our belief systems then, and consequently our behavior? When we're young, we are absorbing information. Uh, we view the world through that lens. That is why two people can look at the exact same football game and see two different things happening in front of them. And as we go through our lives, our teenage years and on and on, we calcify, we solidify those views. For example, if you grew up the son or daughter of two entrepreneurs, you might think to yourself, wow, I can increase my income anytime I want to. I just have to work harder. If you grew up, by contrast, with uh, two people who worked at a job where they never got a raise, where they were unappreciated, where they came home every night and the first thing they did was just sigh and sink back into a recliner chair, you might think to yourself, there's no way to get ahead. Nobody's looking out for me. And, you know, for example, taxes are a terrible, terrible thing because they're taking away my fixed income. So, over time, these views calcify. But the good news is that if you recognize them, if you're listening right now and as we go through today's episode, you recognize some of these what I call invisible scripts, these scripts that are so deep, they are invisible to us and yet they guide our lives, you can actually change them and you can start to create your own positive invisible scripts with money. 
you can shift from, you know, uh, I'm not good with money. I know I should invest, but I, I don't know where to get started to I'm in control of my money. If I want to earn more, I can. Yes, I can negotiate my salary even in an economy like this. And I can use money, not simply for restriction, but actually to create a rich life. Hmm. Would you be willing to give, and maybe you could share from your own life, your own personal experience, but I'd love to give the listeners an example of, you know, belief system that got inserted very young, how that impacted someone's psychology and relationship with money. And then if you're willing to give your own story, how you changed it. Totally. Well, I'll give you a few. I'll give you some that were positive and I'll give you some that I think were actually kind of negative. So growing up, uh, my parents are immigrants. They uh, immigrated here from India and four kids in my family. So, and my mom stayed home. My dad went to work. So we were very frugal. And what I grew up learning was that uh, there's always a way. So although we never really went on big vacations, if anything, um, we would drive down from Northern California to Southern California to stay with family. That was, that was great for us. Like we were happy. One thing that I later learned in my 20s I went to my parents and I asked them, how did you afford to put us in all these sports, soccer, basketball, all kinds of stuff? I found out that my mom had called up the local soccer league and said, look, I've got at the time three kids in this league. I can't afford all these fees. What can you do? Mm -hmm. And they told her, no problem. If you come and chalk the field before the game starts, we can waive those fees. So here I am, something like a 24-year-old discovering that my mom had been going to the soccer games early to chalk the field just wow. so we could play. Wow. I mean, talk about amazing. So the lessons I learned from that were you can always find a way. You mm-hmm. just have to call and ask. And that later allowed me to negotiate my salary, start a business, and on and on and on. I think that there were some invisible scripts I learned that I later shed or I disagreed with. Mm. I remember one time we went to a gym And I remember there were some people sitting behind glass doors and I asked, who are those people? They were the personal trainers. I didn't know that at the time I was a kid. And I was told, you know, they're just there to take your money. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that anybody who charges you for a premium service is really just ripping you off. And I later learned that's not true. And in fact, I now believe quite the opposite. I love paying a lot of money for the things that I enjoy and that create my rich life, things like nice hotels, mm-hmm. like where I live uh, and travel. Those are really, really important to me. So I don't believe that. I do understand that if you are living a life where your entire money lens is cost, then of course you are going to only look at the price of things. You're going to get generic you're never going to get pre-cut vegetables. You're always going to find the cheapest. But as I grew and as I became more financially successful, I realized cost isn't the only lens to look at the world through. There's quality, there's safety, there's excellence, there's results, and on and on and on. And I choose for some parts of my life that I don't want to focus on cost. I want to focus on something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. So for somebody, because one of the things that comes up a lot here is self-confidence and self-worth around money. Like people that just, for whatever reason, maybe they were bullied as a kid or had parents that 
weren't really available. And so it wasn't necessarily a direct money belief insert. You know, maybe no one said anything around the dinner table, but they grew up with a lot of self-worth issues. And so they're just not confident when it comes to money, both that they think they can make it, that they're good with it, that they're smart with it. It's just sort of this elusive thing. So how do we become more confident when it comes to money and actually really own the fact that it's okay to be wealthy? Oh yeah. Let's start there. Cause if you don't, if you don't truly internalize that, then no tactics will ever work. Okay. So I, um, I speak to a lot of my readers. They're on my website and my Instagram and Twitter and all, all kinds of stuff. And they, they write me directly and I read every single message that comes through. And I try to respond to a lot. The amount of puritanical beliefs in this country about money is truly amazing. In this country, in America, we love to look at rich people who act like they're poor. That is what we treasure. We hold them above all. Warren Buffett, billionaire, still lives in the same house since 1969. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's not talk about his private jet. No, 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 no. Mm. But he, oh, this, this other billionaire, he, um, flies in economy. Let's not talk about the $6,000 suit he wears when he goes on TV to Mm. berate ordinary Americans about their spending on food. Mm. It is crazy. And so what I wanted to exemplify is to show people you can actually earn a lot of money and be a good person because most of us have been taught that if you earn a lot of money, what do they say? Money changes people. Notice how I said that. Money changes people, like with a sneer on my face. I'm here to tell you money does change people, and it should. It allowed me to dream bigger. It allowed me to bring both sets of parents on our honeymoon with us. Mm. It allowed me to donate huge amounts of money uh, for Black Lives Matter, for coronavirus, and on and on and on. So money does change people, but what you have to believe is that you can control who you turn into. Money will not control your character. Mm, mm, I love that. I think it's Oprah who says um, money just makes, maybe she says fame just makes you more of who you actually are. And I think the same is true for money. If you, it just, it just amplifies who you actually are. So if you know that you're not a jerk... (laughs) And you don't have to worry <laughs> yeah. about money making you one. You know you you can trust yourself to handle it well. But I find that that people really just have so much unconscious fear and programming around it that that also prevents them from talking about it. I feel we do that with money too. We just don't talk about it in the way that really gets us anywhere, especially right. when it comes to like our, our self-worth and money. So I, I kind of interrupted you because I know you were headed there, but I'd love to circle back to why is it so hard for us to make money when we have low self-worth? I think there are two things that, that hold us back. Once we accept, at least theoretically, that I can one day be wealthy or I can one day live a rich life. The first, really bluntly, is information. You hear, I hear this every single day. Oh, you know, I'm 45. Money is my, after people turn 40, their number one concern is money, always. Mm. Um, There's no way for me to get ahead. And I ask them, when was the last time you sat down and spent one weekend reading a book about money? And they look at me like I'm crazy. (laughs) Most people who complain about money have never read a single book about money. 
And do you know how they respond to that? They say, well, there's so many books. I don't know what to choose. <laughs> Why do you think I'm on this podcast? I'm just going to tell you, go get, I will teach you to be rich. Read the book. Yeah. You can read the, any book. It doesn't, you know, you'll get started. And that is not an excuse. Oh, I didn't know what book to read. That, that excuse would be laughed out of a sixth grade class. <laughs> so as adults, we need to take responsibility for ourselves. The second reason that we often struggle with self-worth is the relationships around us. It's no surprise that if you grew up and nobody around you ever negotiated their salary, that you don't negotiate your salary. It's no surprise that if the people around you hear that you are listening to self-development podcasts or reading a book on money and they say, what are you doing? You should just be lucky to have a job in this economy. Mm-hmm. That you would shrink instead of actually embracing your power and expanding. So it's no surprise that when we look at the people around us, they often reflect exactly who we are today. It makes perfect sense. So when we hear this old phrase from Jim Rohn, you are the average of the five people around you, I think sometimes people misinterpret it. I sometimes hear people saying, are you telling me I need to get rid of all my friends and only go find financially successful people? No, not at all. I still have friends from junior high and I love them and they are my friends. I don't choose my friends based on their financial status. But as I became an entrepreneur, as I became more politically outspoken, I found other people who I could add to my network, who could inspire me, push me, and frankly, who just thought that it was cool to learn these new things. So if you are listening and I ask you this one question, I would love it if everyone, if just close your eyes and think about it. Who are the three people around you who you most admire financially? Why? If you don't have anyone that comes to mind immediately, that's a problem. People that you know personally? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. How can you expect to succeed, to negotiate, to start a business, to invest if the people around you think you're crazy? Mm-hmm. And I, I've experienced this myself as I started to, when I was in my 20s, I decided I wanted to put on some muscle and I didn't really know, I didn't have the network of people around me who could support me. And when you first start something, you are really nervous. You're really insecure about anything, a new clothing style, working out for the first time, managing your money. And it is that one magical person who can just listen to you and say, you know what, Christine, I know you can do it. Mm -hmm. Go. That is the kind of person you're looking for in your network. Mm -hmm. I love that. Because we do need that. We, that's, that's part of how we reprogram the mind and start feeding new belief systems. Because like you said, our, our lens of the world so comes from our beliefs. It forms our perception of how we see things. And so if we're just hanging around with other people that complain about money, that think it's all based on unfairness and mm-hmm. working for the man or, or whatever, it's, it's sort of like when I work and might be the queen program, which is helping women draw in their man. I make a rule that you don't hang out with any single girlfriends who just complain about men and how awful dating is and all men suck because then you're just feeding that belief. So we've got to do the same thing with our financial life is have those people around us that can be aspirational and helpful as well. I'm lucky to have those people in my life and I've had them, you know, since my twenties. And I think that's helped me in my own relationship with money. Yeah. So before we we shift, because I definitely want to talk about you know, the biggest excuse we all have right now to be scared about money, which is the pandemic. 
Anything else you want to say about the psychology of money or, yeah. or belief systems around it? I do. I want to do this exercise with you, Christine, mm. if you will allow me. And I hope everyone following along will do it too. Yeah, I'd love to. So when people think about money advice, the first thing they think about is this person's going to come on here and tell me to cut back on my lattes. Okay. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> It doesn't matter how many lattes you buy. In fact, the back of my book says, buy all the lattes you want. <laughs> what I would rather do is I want to actually talk about what you love spending money on. Mm -hmm. So, Christine, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Sure. First off, what do you love, not like, but love spending on and why? Does it have to be two? There's two things that are tied. Can I say them both? Yeah, sure. Okay. My own personal growth. So mm -hmm. what, whatever that means, Dr. Joe Dispenza retreat, my coach, whatever and travel. Oh, okay. Great. Okay. And why, why do you love both of those things? Well, for the first one, my own personal development, there's always such a high ROI on it. I, I just always grow. I learn. I love learning about myself. I love learning new techniques. I just, I love learning. It's completely my passion. And personal development is the thing I'm most interested in the world about. So it's just interesting and exciting to me. And travel, I love the beauty of it, the meeting new people, the creativity of it, the novelty of it, the uncertainty of it, the being able to be exposed to different cultures. And I love the nice stuff. I love five-star hotels and I notice all the things, you know, like a, <laughs> the TV in the mirror in the bathroom, just like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, you, and we need to compare notes. I know, uh, we you're do. You're speaking my language. We do. My husband teases me because he's, <laughs> we, I use all the amenities, you know, I make sure that I try everything that's in the hotel. <laughs> Even if it's just for five minutes, I'm like, I have to try the infinity pool. It's 50 degrees. I don't care. I have to try it. So it, it, it gets me, it just plucks me out of my world. And I love the newness of it. Okay. I love this. What I can tell listening to you is number one, I just hear the excitement in your voice. It's so obvious and transparent and enthusiastic. And I love hearing anyone talk about money in that way. That is what money is. It's exciting. Mm -hmm. It's about saying yes, not saying no. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I hear is that you didn't miss a beat when I asked this question. Mm -mm. You have clearly thought about this. Mm -hmm. So that, that is unusual. Many times when you ask people what they love, everyone has something. I call this a money dial. I call it a dial because like a stereo dial, you can turn that dial up, which we will get to in just a second. But usually the most common answers are travel, mm -hmm. eating out, health and wellness, and then it drops off a steep cliff. Mine is convenience. That's my money dial. Mm -hmm. I love to wake up, you know, all my meals are perfectly organized house is really clean. I have an executive assistant who is amazing and helps organize my life. I love that. Now I would like to ask you the second question. So Christine, if you could quadruple your spending on your two money dials, mm -hmm. what would your life look and feel like? Hmm. I'd probably be on more airplanes. <laughs> if I could quadruple it, honestly, I don't know if it would look that much different because I would just be doing more of what I love. I think the only way it may look different is I would bring more people with me. 
That's mm. what it would be. I would Ooh. bring more people with me. Friends and family mm-hmm. with travel, with personal development, more of my audience. <laughs> you yeah. know, just, just, just in, having that freedom to just be like, come on, we're all going to Joe Dispenza. We're all, you know, I'd love to take my entire family to my husband's home country of Australia and just have everybody there. So Amazing. that's, that's what I would say. There'd be more people involved. You know, when I ask this question, it's really interesting. The first one, most people don't have too much trouble with. Everyone's got something they'd love to spend on. But when I ask people, what if you could quadruple your spending, the vast majority of people have never actually thought of spending more on the thing they love. Mm. They have only thought about spending less on everything in their life. Hmm. They, they feel guilty. They feel anxiety. So I spoke to a, on my book tour, I spoke to a young man in DC. His answer, not surprisingly, was he likes to eat out. And I said, okay, if you could quadruple your spending, what would you do? And he said the same thing everybody says. Well, I'd probably eat out four times a week, so I'd gain a lot of weight. Mm. He's thinking linearly. If mm-hmm. I do this thing I like once, I would just do it four times. Mm. And I probed him. I said, go deeper. Where would you go? And he gets very quiet. He goes, I have a list of every Michelin-starred restaurant in D.C. <laughs> he, he had it. He just didn't want to say it. Mm-hmm. I said, who would you take with you? My family. Why your family? And he looks right up at me and he says, my family has never been able to afford to eat at places like that. Yeah. That is a rich life. That is using the principle of money dials to decide this is what I want to spend extravagantly on. Yeah. I'm going to turn my money dial way up, but I'm also going to cut costs mercilessly on the stuff I don't care about. Mm. And that is what I will teach you to be rich is all about. Mm. I love that. I love that. Fun questions. It's a great exercise to do with a partner. It's, you know what? We just don't get a chance to dream. Yeah. We really don't with our money. And I'll tell you about my own personal money dial that I just really loved. Um, so, you know, I, I told you that I'm the son of Indian immigrants and I knew that I would get married at some point in my life. And I, I also knew that I wanted to have just an awesome wedding. You know, Indians, especially Punjabis, we love our weddings. And so I started saving just an automatic sub-savings account in my 20s before I ever met my wife. And my money dial, well, one of my money principles is for the important things in life, I don't want to have to look at the cost. I want to have so much saved that I don't even have to consider cost. So for the wedding, we just had this dream wedding. And for our honeymoon, we, we were out to dinner with some friends. And they were asking us, where are you going on your honeymoon? Mm-hmm. And we told them, you know, we were planning to go on a safari for like eight days or something. We've never been. It was going to be amazing. And they, they're a little bit older than us. So they were like, oh, that sounds amazing. And then one of them said, you know, when we got married, we took six months off. And my fiance at the time and I looked at each other. We're like, who the hell are these people who take six months off? Then the next couple speaks up and says, we actually took a year off and traveled around the world. Mm. so we walked out of that restaurant, first of all, saying, who are these people? We thought they were just normal people like us. But then we looked at each other and we said, wait a second, what if we did that? And that question, what if was really the magical question. And ultimately we decided we want to take both of our parents with us because they're alive, they're healthy. Mm -hmm. They've never seen this kind of stuff. 
And we told them just show up at the airport. Don't even worry about anything else. So to be able to use money for those memories, to create those memories that none of us will ever forget. To me, that is the ultimate sign, at least for us, for how we want to spend our money for our rich life. So I would encourage everyone. It doesn't have to be a six week honeymoon. It could be going to the grocery store and not looking at the price of pre-cut vegetables. <laughs> it could be as simple as that. It could be $5, but it makes you feel like you are living a rich life. And that is equally important for, mm. who, for whatever it is you choose. Mm, I love that. I love that. Just really giving us permission to define what our rich life looks like. Because it really is, whenever I talk to about money with anyone, it's always about the experiences that they, that they want. You know, when we get out of the fear of, oh, I just have to have enough to pay my bills, then it's really more about what are the, how do I want to feel, right? When, because it's like, okay, you want to be rich. Okay. Why? Yeah. Why? why? Mm -hmm. It's not a number. It's really not that when I ask people, what does rich mean to you? They always have the same three answers. The first is I want to do what I want when I want. And I go, okay, that's cool. What do you want to do? And then they just sit there puzzled because they never actually thought about it. Right. The second answer is a million bucks, which is preposterous because a million bucks, if you live in Manhattan or uh, Kansas is completely different. Or if you're 24 or 64, the number is not the answer. And then the third one, I find this one the most haunting is I just want to pay off my debt. Mm. And when I hear that, I think to myself, if you wake up in the morning and your idea of a rich life is to pay off your debt, then it is no surprise you are not living a rich life because that is not a motivator. That is not exciting. To get back to zero, there's got to be a dream that is slightly bigger than that, that motivates you every day, as opposed to just being satisfied with being at zero. Yeah. Because then all you're doing is trying to get above zero. (laughs) You're not Mm -hmm. dreaming any bigger than that. So you're in survival mode, which is very different than creative mode. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was such a fun exercise. I'm going to do that with my husband when he gets home. Was was that it? The two questions? Yeah, that's it. And let me know how that goes. I'd be so curious. Yeah. Well, I know, I know his, his number one and two are going to be the same as mine. That's Uh why we get along so well. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the biggest excuse why people or the biggest reason, I'll say it nicer, the biggest reason why people are so scared about money right now. It's a very real fear. So many people have been laid off. Unemployment rates are higher than ever. Those of people who watch the media news, I personally am not one of them. There's a lot of scary stuff out there about the pandemic and the recession we're about to hit. How do we stay out of panic and fear, first of all, when it comes to money? Well, I I never tell anyone not to be afraid because, you know, if there was a bear running at me and someone told me, don't be afraid, I'm going to look at them like they're crazy and then I'm going to run. So I think that it is the first step of being in a unprecedented situation like this is to take a look around and accept reality. And that this is really hard. See, we've grown up in America. uh, Think about how our movies end. Everything gets resolved. The sun rises and we walk off, you know, into the sunset holding hands. It's just this beautiful American ending. Everything always works out. But when you accept reality, you really look around and say, hey, my job might not be coming back. My industry may never come back. 
So I need to accept reality and really start to move on to step two, which is to make a plan. And that with your money, we could talk about emergency funds and what should you do with your savings and investments and stuff. And then the third plan, the third step is to move, especially when coronavirus first hit. People were freezing in place. They were really freezing. It's a natural human tendency. If you think about driving down the freeway, you see something in the middle of the road. What's your first tendency? Mm -hmm. You're going to slam on the brakes. But during something like this, that is exactly the wrong thing to do. You want to move. You want to take your family to safety, whatever that is, if it's geographic, if it's calling your boss and arranging for a way to work at home, et cetera. But you want to make moves. Even if you get it wrong, you want to be moving, knowing that you have the confidence in yourself to course correct. So that is my advice, just as general principles, is don't worry if you feel fear. You should feel fear. It is scary out there. But Fear alone is not going to help you get to where you need to go. You need to accept reality, make a plan, and move. Mm, mm, mm. I love that. So what is your feeling about the economy right now and what we can be doing with our money? This is my personal feeling because, frankly, nobody knows what will happen with the economy. But what I am doing with my money and what I'm telling my close friends and family is I think it's going to be pretty bad for a while. I really do. And I'm, I've become more conservative. So what does that mean? It means that I'm now recommending to people that they target a one year emergency fund. Mm -hmm. And if you're listening in that number sounds scary, uh, let me kind of put your mind at ease. Um, if you make 60 grand a year, a one year emergency fund doesn't mean you need 60 grand. It means you need enough just to keep the lights on. So if you and your partner lost your job, you would probably immediately make changes to your spending. You would maybe change brands, you would cancel cable, et cetera. So you calculate how much you would need and you start putting that money aside. Now, whether you are getting a a salary from your job, whether, whether you're collecting unemployment, which you should certainly file for if you have the opportunity, that is money that you can redirect to an emergency savings, an emergency fund. Now, hopefully you don't have to use it. But the worst thing financially is to have your back against the wall. And so I don't want anyone listening to get in that situation. Um, The other thing that I want to mention here is that if you have, oh, sorry, there's a few calls people can make right now, five calls actually, that can often generate or save you $1,000 or more. So I just want to give you these five calls you can make. So your cable company, your cell phone company, your credit card company, if you have uh, credit card debt, your student loan company, and finally, even your landlord. You call them up, you say, look, COVID-19 is making it difficult for me to be in the same place I was financially six months ago. I'd like to know what options you can offer somebody like me. Many times, these cell phone companies and cable companies, right off the bat, they will cut your rate, save you seven or 800 bucks per year just from that one phone call. Your landlord, not saying it always works, but when it does, it can be a huge savings. Mm, mm. I love that. I love that. And that, you know, that's like an empowering step that people can take, um, rather than just kind of fall into a hopeless, helpless or victim. I mean, a lot of people are, are really, really scared right now because we don't know what the future holds. And that's why educating yourself, like reading your book so that money isn't so daunting so that, you know, 
how to diversify it so that you know what an emergency fund looks like, so that you know how much of your assets are liquid, so that you know what to do with your debt, so that you can actually because I think for a lot of people, they just sort of, you know, like when little kids don't want to hear something, they cover their eyes and plug their ears and go, la, 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 la. Like, <laughs> if I don't see it or hear it, it doesn't exist. And I hope that one thing that, you know, I think there are so many difficulties and tragedies that are coming from the pandemic. And there are, like just like with anything, there are blessings. And I hope that it's been a wake-up call for some people that maybe haven't really treated their financial life with the love, respect, attention, and education that it really deserves. And this is a good time to start educating yourself. So instead of going into fear, yeah. well, yeah, like you said, if a bear is chasing you, you're going to have fear. However, once the bear stops chasing you, like you don't need to be scared about it anymore. So yes, we have the fear, but fear can be paralyzing. So how do we get into action? So I would assume this is a great time to be learning about money too, isn't it? It's a, it's a great time. And I love that you said, treat your financial life with love and respect. I love that. That is exactly it. Because uh, money is actually not a chore to me. It is something that I pay love and attention to because it allows me, for example, when coronavirus, I started seeing what was going on. I was like, we're out of here. And we left. And we didn't need to think about um, what's going to happen with our job. Or, you know, how are we going to cover costs? We had planned for that. Mm -hmm. That is the result of love and respect. Love and respect can also uh, mean that you can buy your kid's favorite meal mm -hmm. and not have to worry how it's going to affect your checkbook. Mm -hmm. So I, I completely reframe the way that most of us think about money. It's actually really positive. Um, it allows you to live a rich life, whatever it is. Now, you do need to learn some foundational principles. If you hear words like diversification or asset allocation, and it makes you cringe, I would say these are relatively simple concepts. You know, when you think about investing, a lot of times we think about these people on TV and they're watching all these screens, black screens with green text scrolling. That's not real investing. Real investing is simple, boring. It's automatic and that's it. I spend less than one hour per month on my money. Mm. So yeah, you do need to learn a few things. And yeah, it might force you to confront some decisions that you may have made that are not the best. Big deal. You can get, if you've got debt, you can pay it off. It's, it's not a problem. I've talked to people who have $350,000 in debt or more. There's always a plan. So I would say, yeah, you do need to learn a bit, but it's not as intimidating as you think. You find somebody you trust, read the book, learn it, and then your life will change. You probably answered this in what you just said, but I want to just be really, really clear. So, cause I, I can, I, sometimes when I'm interviewing people, I can hear my listeners asking questions. And I know one of the questions that a lot of people are asking is, or saying is, Christina or me, you don't understand. I got yeah, laid must off. Be nice. I'm a, yeah, yeah, must be nice. I got laid off. I I'm in debt. I have no money. I have to move back in with my parents. Like this, I, this just doesn't apply to me. Yeah. Well, okay. So I would ask them first of all. I do think that they probably got laid off not because of anything they did. And so for that, I am sorry. It's nobody's fault that you were laid off because of a virus, mm -hmm. and that sucks. I would ask them what do you think you'll do next? And oftentimes when something unfair has happened, 
when something has derailed us from our plans, then it's very easy to get morose and to just mourn the plans that we had made. You know, I was planning to go here. I was planning to do this. I was planning to see my grandma. We need time for that. I actually think we do need time to mourn what could have been. But the principles of money are something that you can actually take and empower yourself. If you are unemployed, yes, you still can use these principles. How do you do it? Step one, file for unemployment, right? That's taking control to make that phone call. You can, if you have limited savings, you can figure out where those savings should go. If you've never actually made a plan to pay off your debt for the first time, you will be able to see exactly the month and year that your debt will be paid off. Mm. And by the way, that's a magical moment. When people are in debt, it's so funny. They, they email me uh, and they say the same message, but different amounts. They go, Ramit, I'm never going to pay my debt off. This is impossible. I'm thinking of declaring bankruptcy. I go, how much are you in debt? One person goes 5,000. One person goes 50,000. So they both say exactly the same things, but the amounts are totally different. And I ask them the same question. What is your debt payoff date? The month and year that your debt will be paid off. Well, first of all, 90, 90 plus percent of people don't even know how much they owe in debt. Why would they? They don't want to open those envelopes. It's always bad news. Mm. So I don't blame them. I do understand why we don't want to know how much we owe. But 99 plus percent of people do not know when their debt will be paid off. It's just this agonizing torture that is going to be there forever. So the first thing I do is I show them, all right, this is exactly the month and year that your debt will be paid off. Oh, and if we make these changes, we can cut that amount down by half. And suddenly you can see the light in their eyes. It's like, mm. oh my God, I could do this. And now we have a game plan. Mm. That's in chapter one, by the way. Wow. I love that. I love that. When did you write this book? 2008, 2009? It came out originally in 2009, mm -hmm. but the new version, the second edition came out in 2019. Oh, awesome. Awesome. It's And so, so much of it still remains true. Yeah. This is really about empowering ourselves, you know, really, really empowering ourselves. And I always come back to on the like psychology part, it really comes to self-worth. Know that you're worth it. You're worth it. And you're capable of doing this just because you grew up poor doesn't mean you have to remain poor just because you've always struggled with money doesn't mean you have to continue to, but you are the person that can pull you out of it. So I'd love you also to speak to people that actually are doing financially well, maybe feeling a little guilty about it right now and are thinking about where they should be investing their money, but maybe feel guilty about it because they don't want to capitalize on yeah. such a hard time. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. This is it. This is a really common one. I would imagine with your audience, certainly with mine, we have a lot of people who have used our programs and they've negotiated $20,000 raises or they've started these six-figure businesses and quietly they see all the news, but inside they feel very guilty because they have great financial situations and they don't know what to do. So I try to model this uh, with my own community in several ways. The first thing I tell them is, if you have the ability, write a huge check and write it right now. And that means if you have somebody in your life who's struggling financially, just send them money. If you have charities that are meaningful to you, write the check. And, you know, we raised tens of thousands of dollars in just the last few months for a couple of organizations. 
And it's amazing. I had people who donated $5. I had people who donated thousands of dollars. And I really love that range. It shows that even $5 can make a difference. So that's, that's the first is just write a check. And, and what I often find is that smart people get caught up on the most trivial of details. Oh, Ramit, um, I don't know. This, uh, this, uh, nonprofit is like really good, but they don't do this one particular thing that I want. They don't send me an email on Thursdays with updates about how they use their funding. I'm like, shut up, write the check. Well, what do you, you don't, you don't even have that criteria of specificity for your spouse. And here you are for your $1,000 donation, asking them to submit this massive RFP. Get the hell out of here. Write the check. <laughs> okay. The, the next thing that when it comes to investing is if you've saved up your emergency fund, if you feel very secure about that, keep your investing plan going. It's funny. If we go to the grocery store and toothpaste is on sale for 30% off, we're like, this is a great deal. Awesome. But if stocks go down, suddenly we're like, what? I better, oh, things are really bad. No. If you are a young, long-term investor, whether it goes up or down, you are consistently investing every single month completely automatically. So keep following your plan. And then the third thing I say to them is look for opportunities. You know, there are a lot of our earnable students, this is our business program, Earnable, who started businesses during coronavirus and have already started earning money. One of my favorite examples is uh, a painting teacher you know those wine and painting classes that we used to go to for mm -hmm, date night? Mm -hmm. She started that painting class through Zoom and she's making money. It's amazing. And there are so many other businesses that have been hatched at times like this. If you are a parent, you know that right now you would pay effectively anything for your kids to learn or even just to stay out of your hair. We should remember that for thousands of years, we have all paid to entertain ourselves, to adorn ourselves, or just purely because we want to. So there's a massive opportunity to start a business right now. And that is what we teach through Earnable. So I would just encourage you to really look for opportunities at a time like this. Mm, I love that. Oh, Ramit, I, you're so, I, I love your blend of like inspiration and information and just calling us forward to live a rich life. And, you know, so many people talk about abundance and manifestation and <laughs> we, we live in physical world reality and it takes money to do things. And it often takes money to make impact and it takes money to have less stress. So I really want everyone listening to really consider every, not just consider, but take in everything Ramit is saying and start to own your relationship with money. Start to just like we do that with our physical body. You know, we change our diet because we realize, oh my gosh, my cholesterol is bad or I have stomach issues. Look at your financial life in the same way and think, how am I going to use this time, this transformational time, this transformational year to make some changes and not let my old beliefs and my old story or how I grew up continue to determine how I live my life when it comes to money. So thank you so much, Ramit, for giving us a very loving nudge and asking us so many great <laughs> questions. Where can people go to connect with you, to learn more, to take your programs? Okay. First of all, thank you for having me. This is a blast and it is so nice to reconnect mm. after so long. If you are interested, you can find me in a few places. If you want to know how to earn more, you can go to iwt.com slash earn. That's iwt.com slash earn. 
You can sign up right there for our newsletter. We have some amazing stuff that we send out and some of our courses we share there. I'm on Instagram, at Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. And I'm also on Twitter, at Ramit. And and, uh, those are the places you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.